Hi, I'm Melissa Withers, and this is Unfounded. In each episode, a guest and I tackle a topic about biz building and startup culture, but we do it by asking each other only three questions, one about the past, one about the present, and one about the future. The third question, the one about the future, that's the wild card. We have not shared this question with each other in advance. And that's it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, Harry. Thank you so much for being here with me today on Unfounded. Um, Our topic is race and gender and investing. Uh, As you know, we have three questions to constrain us around this topic. One that looks to the past, one that looks to the present, and one that leans into the future. Um, And as you also know, uh, we gave each other a sneak peek into questions one and two about the past and the present, but question three, the one about the future, that's the wild card, uh, and uh, turned out to be my favorite part of this whole endeavor. Um, And so thank you so much for being a part of this with me today. You also know there are no formal bios uh, on this show. So anyone listening or watching who wants to learn a little more about um, Harry's incredible experience as an entrepreneur, as an ecosystem champion, and as an investor, you can check more out in the show notes. But what I've done in lieu of bios is I've asked Harry to think of, uh, to deliver three words that he can use to introduce himself and only three words. So Harry, let her rip, three words. Husband, father, entrepreneur. I mean, can't go wrong when you play it straight. I don't know that much about you. We've only been friends for a while, but you are those things. Uh, so that is a that is a that is a true story. So, um, well, thank you so much. Uh, I, I just want to say that um, when I think about ecosystem champions, you always come to mind uh, in the sense that you you when I first started spending time uh, in that part of the the country, you were everywhere all the time and so generous with your time. And I think those words get thrown around a lot. But um, through my my journeys. Um, I'm so impressed with how you advocate uh, and really roll up your sleeves and do work uh, and and really put your really put your heart uh, where your mouth is. Uh, and I've, I've really admired uh, watching that unfold over the years. And so as a consequence, I can't think of anybody I'd rather have this uh, quick conversation today than you. So uh, thank you again sincerely uh, for taking time to be here. You good to go? You ready? I'm good to go. Thank you All for right. having me. I'm oh, pumped. thank you so much. Yeah. All right, doo, 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 doo. we just went in the time machine, Harry. We're looking to the past now. Um, so you know, exemplars in heroes in startup culture are so beloved and they're so deeply embedded in, in all kinds of entrepreneurship education, informal and formal. You know, meanwhile, the stories of black entrepreneurs have been just absent, just uh, untold, uh, certainly in the, mainstream, uh, in the mainstream media and mainstream storytelling. It, how did that affect your journey and, and how does it inform the work that you do today? Yeah, it's definitely impacted my journey. And when, when I learned about Booker T. Washington as a young student, and this is a person who was kind of controversial, but his main point or his area of focus was Black progress through education and entrepreneurship. And that also like pushed me uh, flung me on my journey um, and helped me decide on which college I wanted to go to because they had an African-American studies program and I wanted to learn more. And today, what I do is I teach. I'm an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland and I also support entrepreneurs. And so it's been a big part of my journey and, and what I am today. I, I set this up. I'm not, I, I told myself I wouldn't respond to the answers just to keep it tight. It's like 
killing me. I'm like eight episodes in and I want, I just, I want each question to be its own show. Um, but um, I just, I, I think we're, um, I think you're going to help tell a new generation of stories uh, and that um, I hope in, in the future, I won't have to, ask, we won't have to ask that question again. So, all right, we're in the time machine. I'm looking backwards. What's your question? <laughs> so who would you want to have dinner with from any female founder in history? I, so I'm so glad I had a sneak peek at this because I think I would have given, I would have taken me a minute. Uh, and I really, um, so one of the challenges that I had when I was coming up as an entrepreneur is I had, um, I had role model, I said I had mentors, but not role models. Because uh, at the time there just weren't many women. Uh, I started out in my sciences when there were no women. I went into government when there weren't that many women. I went into uh, entrepreneurship when there were no women founders. And I went into investing when there were no women fund managers. So I've had incredible mentors, but I haven't had role models. So I thought a lot about who my role models were. And a lot of them were historical figures. So when people ask me, who are your role models? It's not some contemporary person. It's usually a historical figure. Uh, and, and I think I, I really thought about this. Um, I would love to have a dinner with Flannery O'Connor. And I think of her as a, as a literary entrepreneur. Uh, most, it, and I don't, it's not a test. Most, if you, most people are not familiar with her work. She was a, an, an author that wrote, she was in the South. Uh, she wrote in the late 1940s and early 1950s. And um, the reason why I, uh, like she meant was so impactful to me is I discovered her writing when I was probably 19 or 20. And she writes really powerful stories about transcendence and grace, but through the lens of very ugly, traumatic characters. Uh, there's nothing about her stories that are pretty. And as a woman reading literature and reading women, women authors, it was the first time I read a woman who wrote ugly, unapologetically, didn't, and did, they, she didn't transform the ugly to pretty at the end of the story. The ugly just stayed ugly. And then the ugly just resolved in, in, in many ways that showed tremendous grace and transcendence, but it was the opposite of D Disney, right? It was the it wasn't like Mary Shelley ugly, like, you know, character, like horror. It was just the realities of human experience and the, the ugliness of us all through like when we see our flaws as ugly. And as a person who was uh, always been interested in storytelling and uses, believes that storytelling is probably the most important thing in entrepreneurship in general, I think knowing at 19 that stories could be ugly and that people could be ugly and still find transcendence and that not everybody ha got transformed into, like the beautiful people didn't get married at the end of every story, gave me, opened a door that allowed me to find a much more robust uh, experience professionally and then I also personally. So uh, that said, I heard she was crazy and she was really sick at the end of her life and she was all like caught up in her Catholicism. And so it would probably be a disaster um, like she'd hate me. She'd hate everything about me, I'm sure. But yeah, Flannery O'Connor. So thanks for asking. It's an awesome question. Um, all right. We are now uh, in the present time, walking on, uh, on terra firma today. So um, I don't think people realize how much informal training and support entrepreneurs uh, get when they come from communities of privilege. Um, so much of my mentorship support in the C-suite is working with founders who have to learn everything by effort versus osmosis. Uh, and I just, and I, and I experienced that myself, but I feel like it's been one of the hardest frontiers to cross when we talk about creating equities. How do you compensate for, you know, for years of missing osmosis uh, when all you have is effort, right? And effort takes time. And so I was just wondering, you know, do you, you, know, do, do you see that in the communities where you're active? Uh, and, if, and if you do see it, you know, 
just for kind of any thoughts about how we might start to address it at scale? Yeah, yeah. And so in the previous question, I mentioned Booker T. Washington. He was actually um, of the last generation to actually be born a slave. And, and so what, and that made me really think, and then I look at today, like we are, the, especially the black community, we are generations behind. And I feel like it's always playing catch up. The whole point is if you're going to leave a legacy, it's to be leaning forward while reaching back, pulling someone yeah. else behind you. And so today, like I'm always conscious of that. And how can I not only move forward, but also bring someone or a community with me? And so I think it's a mindset of not just thinking about, you know, just having tunnel vision on your own success, but like, how can I actually help other people around me? How can I solve problems worth solving? And I think when it take when you have that mindset, I think we can do tremendous things. And so I try to incorporate that into my work and I try to pass it on and pay for it in other ways. Uh, so other people can be influenced and maybe hopefully they can do that too with their respective communities. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of like give, like we need to get more cash, but if you don't, if you don't support the cash with the capacity, then we're all just gonna, people are just gonna stand around and, and blame the entrepreneurs for being bad entrepreneurs, right? And I, I see that so much, people just don't realize like if you grew up uh, in a family of entrepreneurs or you went to a college that had a lot of business building training, like so many things, right? That if you just kind of like distance travel here and you're up, it's all effort, right? Like thinking about how to like really not make that shameful. I, I feel like in my life, it was shameful. I was always trying to bury my past and I was the first person in my family to graduate college. And I, I wouldn't tell anybody that. So people always thought I was, because I was, you know, people just assumed I came from privilege and that I thought that's what I wanted them to do. But I now realize I missed out on so much help <laughs> because I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I got it. And we now I think about, yeah. We shouldn't be ashamed of our no. own experiences. And I think it's, it's their teachable moments uh, that can also be learning opportunities for other people. And yeah. if we do realize we come from a place of privilege at any point, uh, I think it's, it's best to talk about it. Don't shelve it. And uh, yeah. I think everyone can learn from it. Yeah, I'm really interested in that. Thank you. Uh, okay, uh, question about the present, lay it on me. Yeah. So, you touched on it a little bit in your question, and but I want to know what is the biggest opportunity to, to support diverse founders today? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm gonna, I think it's an extension of what I was just leaning into there. I, I have, I mean, there's a lot, there's all kinds of infrastructure and things that we need to do in tandem, right? I think this idea of a single point silver bullet solution that fixes, you know, 200 years of inequity. It's ridiculous, right? This, so there's all, I believe, I'm a, I believe in that progressive thread of all the things we need to do to make this a, a, a more just and equal country. But I think in entrepreneurship, you know, I am really nervous about the sort of tsunami of language around, you know, let's just make, let's just get more people of color and more women to become fund managers. And then let's just do this and do this. And everything's just going to fall together. I do think that there needs to be a, a deeper reckoning around the just the layers of the inequity and it kind of like and i think that informal training is is just one of those things and i i, and I think my partner and i have now done like 140 companies together and i i can't tell you the difference to you know if you come out of a top level school and you have you know a, your mom or your dad is an exec you, you just absorb all kinds of things that that advance your ability to be compelling and credible in front of the investors that typically look like that and you have to, and it, I think to not talk about it, 
and address it really does create a lot of pressure for those founders that don't have that to either tie themselves in knots trying to pretend that they're not who they are, you know, or really just be struggling in a way that is just just unfair, right? And so I think that's one of the things that I'm really, um, especially in this moment, very passionate about is getting more people to recognize that the, the that giving that informal coaching, it's not to say that sometimes there's not formal advice in it, but the, just the informal coaching that gives a person a place to feel safe to ask the stupid question, right? Like to, that, that they just didn't pick up. Like they just hadn't bumped into it. You only know what you know. And I, I think that's not what accelerators really do. And it's not what investment funds do. And so I've had to recently start to invent new structures for that. So I invented some C-suite management um, uh, platforms for women founders that just aren't, they're not, they don't really do that. Accelerators don't really do it. I mean, they do it a little bit, but then they end. And then you're still, you have not learned at all. Like, trust me on that one. And then investment funds, I think, give good advice and, and, but they're not, that's not what funds do. Funds aren't, funds aren't life coaches or business coaches usually for their companies. So I, I I'm really excited about taking the C-suite coaching and demystifying it and making it feel less shameful that you need it. Like, Cause I think that's how it feels. Like you feel like this guy next to you, like he doesn't need it cause he came from that network of privilege. People assume he worked really hard to get all that knowledge but it was actually osmosis. And you, ha you have to find all the hours in, the, in time to read, to study, to learn and to connect. And yeah, that, I wanna, I wanna work on that for the next forever. Welcome. Welcome. For the next forever, <laughs> that's my timeline. That's my timeline for the next, for the, I'd like to work on that for the next forever. Yeah, so um, yeah. But thank you for asking, it's a good question. Of course. All right, we're back, we're heading in the time machine. We're looking into the future. Um, I thought about this one uh, for a while for you because um, I don't know, talking about the future for me is always really difficult, um, but th this, was, this was the best I could do um, in terms of, of giving you plenty of space to roam here. So you and I are gonna bury a time capsule today and a group of entrepreneurs are gonna open it up in 50 years. What would you put in that capsule? I would put, I would put some Bitcoin in a hardware wallet with instructions for whoever opens it. And by then Bitcoin will be over like a million the dollars. It'd be like a dinosaur bone. Yep. Yes, exactly. Oh and God, whoever opens it. it, this is, this is your gift. And this is, uh, here's, here's wealth for you. Go do whatever you want with it. And it's wealth in a bottle. And uh, I think that would be the biggest gift. And that's something that I wish I would find at a time capsule. Yeah, so sure. I want to find uh, that in my my couch. When I clean yeah. up my couch later, I want to find some Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's really awesome. I, I know I like, like um, again, I'm not supposed to answer the question, but I, 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 was, this me, I was having fun thinking about this. I know what I would put in the time capsule. Um, which is not fair because I shouldn't get an extra question, but I'm going to tell you, I would take, I would take the snapshot stats today of how much uh, investment goes to women and people of color. Yeah. yeah. And I put a little note on top that says, Hey, we think this is changing. And then I would put it in there because 50 years from now, they'd either look at it and be like, wow, that was the dark ages. Or they'd look at it and be like, shit, we haven't changed. Yeah. But either way, like either way, I'd be like, like I think it could be really powerful. That's what I was thinking today. I'd be like, because I, I want it, I, I want it to be the uh, former, not the latter. I want, I, I want, I want it to be like a like a dinosaur bone. But that's yeah. what I would think I would do right now to hold to hold ourselves accountable to that future generations. Snap a line, put it in there, and be like, chew on this, people. Absolutely. Chew on this. Absolutely. So. 
All right. Doo, 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 doo. Now I really, I already, I unfairly, I'm going to get two future questions. So. Okay. <laughs> so we're in the future, and so you're going to be hosting an in-person event, the first in-person you event you've hosted since pre-pandemic. Where is that going to be, and uh, who is going to be in attendance? Yeah, this is awesome. This is a great question because you and I used to go to a lot of events. It's the only reason why we have a relationship is because we would just cross at events, right? Yep. Um, I think when I'm next event that I'm going to host, I'm going to be a lot more honest about the subterranean reasons why people go to events. The, the, the value under the, the real value under the value, maybe that's advertised on the marquee. Right. We know that we don't just go to the events because of the content or the people. We go because either the other folks that we're going to spend time with there, we go because it's at a special location, a place in the country we want to go spend time or the world. We go there because we want to get away and create space to be creative for ourselves. Right. A lot of people go to events to have these space to be creative. I know I always had bursts of creativity when I was traveling. So I would really start to be, I would be much more transparent. Uh, with my attendees about that. And rather than send them bulleted lists of all the new speakers, I would send them uh, notes about the food <laughs> and how we were gonna help you really, really find the people that were gonna either give you joy or help or help you progress. Like I, I would go, and then, and then I'd be like, oh, and meanwhile, yeah, there'll be some content that we know that you kind of don't go to anyway. And when you're there, you're on your phone anyway, or you're just sort of tweeting, pretending. I would, I would just go straight at that and really give people that clean view into what, what value is here for you. Because I think that's what's gonna motivate us to start you know, getting out of our offices again, is it's not gonna be, I'm not gonna go to an event just because uh, it has a great keynote. I'm gonna go because I haven't been to Nashville since, since um, mid 2019 and I missed the place. <laughs> and I wanna see, and I, yeah, and, yeah and, I, and I wanna see the ecosystem there. I wanna reconnect with that. And I love the way that those people do that, right? Like, or I'm gonna go to Atlanta, venture Atlanta in person, just because like those people throw a good party, period. <laughs> I can see the startup pitches on my laptop from the hotel room, which I might do if I'm hung over from the amazing party that they had the night before. And I, and I, I really do think that a lot of emphasis is gonna be on that, that value below the value. So how are you really making people have meaningful connections? How is it joyful? How is it fun? You know, how is it all really all the banks? Because I think a lot of us have learned that we did not need to spend so much time on the road and we probably don't want to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Well, Thank we've God. reached it. We've reached the end of our of our time travel journey together. And I really appreciate you um, taking time and sharing your thoughts on this. And uh, and thanks again for everything that you do and continue to do. And I, I keep telling stories, get more stories out there. And I'm going to look for that Bitcoin in my couch when I get home. <laughs> like life for sure. So. So thanks again, Harry.